Hello, Cornerstone. I am Pastor Tim Van Sommeren. I'm the campus pastor up at March Street Campus. And I, when Pastor Tim assigned me this, this passage of Scripture, I was I'm so looking forward to sharing it with you today because being the final message in the series of The Journey, it's so applicable to what's going on in my life, in my wife's life, in the very near future. And I'll tell you a little bit about that in, in just a little bit. But to start off, um, I want to just take a couple minutes and review each of the six lessons that we, the six messages that we've heard over the past month and a half, and, and just help you to see, because these verses that we're going to be looking at today bring all of this into culmination, bring it into a full picture of what God is trying to do in and through our lives. So in week one, uh, Pastor Tim was teaching, and he asked the question whether we had someone in our life who was having input, who was truly praying for us. And then he turned it around and said, do we have someone in our life that we are praying for and that we are putting in to their life? That was so important for us to start out the series that way. And we saw the need for this because of all the false teaching and the Gnosticism that was going on in the early church in Rome. And so as we looked at that, he asked the question, who is helping you along this journey in your relationship with Christ? During the second week, Apostle Paul wrote of the great, this great letter that helps us to root us deeply into Christ. And to do that, he showed us just how supreme Jesus Christ truly is. How he is, how he is supreme over our salvation. He is supreme over the creation. He is supreme over everything that, we come, that comes into our life. And he asked the question that we need to answer is who is helping us to know Christ? Who do we have around you? You're going to notice a pattern here as we go through this. Week three, Pastor Kyle talked so eloquently and showed us that our salvation is through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way to get to heaven except through Christ. Now, for those of you who may not know Christ yet, I, call, I like to call you as pre-Christians. That might sound weird, that there's only one way to get to glory, but we're going to talk about that and how that Christ is totally supreme. Christ is, is all that he says he is. Well, in week, chapter, in week four, Pastor Tim picked up the reins again, and he took a, a deeper look into what it means to be in Christ that we are to be rooted, walking with him. But there's obstacles that he shared with us along the way that, that every age group faces. And they are mostly just the false philosophies that are being propagated in our world today. The solution, however, is to understand the spiritual realities that, we, that are found in Christ. That, first of all, Christ is in us. And secondly, that we are in him. That's almost unfathomable to really grasp that concept that he is in us and we are in him. But it was a great message and it was centered. That's the center of the gospel. That phrase that Christ is in us and we are in him. That's the gospel. And it's so important for us to ask who's showing us 
our identity in Christ. Week number four. Well, week number five, we saw the incredible freedom we have in being with Christ. Being with Christ. We have the fullness of life now. Not someday down the road. We have it right now. Everything we need for life and godliness is ours right now. But we don't live according to that. The old self was crucified with Christ on the cross. And now we've been made new creations in Christ. That we are with him. And that we are being renewed daily in the word of God as we allow it to dwell richly within us or to dwell deeply in us. And that's the, that's the amazing thing. And the question we asked that day is who is helping us to learn to live the life we now have? The life as a Christian that you already have, who's helping you to understand that? Well, last week, he was very practical message. Tim showed us, Pastor Tim showed us that, that Paul was teaching us that, that the relationship with Christ is in our marriages, in our families, and in our careers, how that those affect every aspect of our life. Now, we, he taught us also that, that back in those days in ancient Rome, it was a mess. And so he's talking to the church, but he's also talking to you and I to you and me, that we have this transforming power within us. So that being said, who's helping you to apply the truths of God's Word to your marriage? Helping you to apply God's Word to your family? Who's helping you to apply to your work situation? It's important. So what I would like to show you today is how that these five verses that we're going to be looking at are sort of a culmination of all that, that Paul's been talking about in chapters 1, 2, and 3. As we look at chapter 4, we're going to be challenged together as we look at that. Before we start that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I, as we come before you now, we realize that, that in our world it is filled with hatred filled with strife, filled with false doctrines and, and ideas that in order to be right, we have to do wrong. And my heart is aching for our, our brothers and sisters in, in, in Minnesota who are, are struggling with these, these riots that are going on and the destruction that is taking place. Lord, we want justice to be served. Lord, we want whatever happen to be brought to light and that, that those who were wrong will, be, will pay the penalty for their wrongness. But God, I pray for protection for, for the people in, in, the, in, the, in Minnesota, that they will turn to you, God, and they'll, they'll stop the violence, stop this racial divide and become brothers and sisters that we, you created us all to be. So God, we just pray. We lift them up. And Lord, as we go through these, these verses now, I pray that you'll open our hearts to see the love of Christ and, and how we need to pray and how we need to live our life to be pleasing to you. So God, we, we thank you for that and commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, make sure you have your Bibles. If you don't have it, go and grab it because you're going to want a pen, maybe a piece of paper, to put some notes because 
the outlines, almost every verse in here has an outline in it, but we're going to breeze through this and, um, and try to make uh, your day go a little quicker. So in Colossians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 2 through 6. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Well, it reads here, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to, be de to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is, now, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. These are some pretty powerful verses, and I want to jump right into the outline. Point number one is praying. That's how he starts this section out, is to be praying. So Paul is reminding the believers that they are identified with an extraordinary Christ who is absolute supremacy, who has absolute supremacy, who is absolute supremacy. He has called believers or ordinary people like, like you and me to be extraordinary, to live our ordinary lives in an extraordinary way. Now, how are we to accomplish this in light of the darkness that, that's surrounding our world right now? Is there assistance available? Yes, definitely. We are not left alone in this sin-sick world. We have help, especially during these trying times that we're facing right now. Not just the COVID, but the economy and, and jobs being lost and riots going on and, and all these things that are happening. We are living in troubled times. We need that extra help. We have this available, and the perspective available to us is looking at verse number two, where Paul is exhorting us to pray, number one, diligently, number two, with awareness, and number three, with gratitude. So let's look at each of those really quickly. In verse 2, he says to continue steadfastly in prayer. That word steadfastly, let me get this here, it means to be busily engaged in, to persist in, or to give constant attention to. That's the meaning of steadfast in this context. So prayer in a believer's life, this is the thing that it's, it's, like, it's not like going to a used car lot and, or to a car dealer and say, I want to order a car. What options do you want? Do you want um, cruise control? Do you want a sunroof? Do you want details on the side of the car? Do you want mag tires? What do you... Prayer is not an option like that that we can opt out or use when in the time of need. It is something that is, is, is vital for our life. In order to live a life that is pleasing to God, we have to be focused every day. That's what he says. He's saying be steadfastly, continue steadfastly in prayer. It's that simple. 
Well, even in Ephesians 6.18, in the New Living Translation, I like the way it puts it. It says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And then in the Old Testament, in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11, it says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. So we see this throughout the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, to be constant in prayer and steadfast in that, to be persistent on it. Do you realize that the average person every day breathes, takes breaths between 17,000 and 30,000 breaths per day? That is, that is vital, and it's important for us to be, to be healthy, to be taking in oxygen. That, what, what oxygen is to the human body, so is prayer to our souls, to our soul's life, to our vitality as a believer. It needs to be a part of our everyday life. Well, so what does that look like? How can I be steadfast in prayer. It doesn't mean that we're walking around with our eyes closed or we're always praying at every minute, but it means that we can pray at any minute. So when you wake up first thing in the morning, I try to make this a practice, is that as my feet are hitting the ground, I'll say, God, you've given me another day. Help me to use it to bring glory to you today. Or if someone comes up and, and is sharing a concern with you or sharing a heartache or they've experienced a death in their family or, or whatever it is, don't say, I'm going to pray for you. And then because more, more times than not, we walk away and forget. Stop right there. Put your arm around them and pray for them right then. It might be a little awkward at first, but as you do it, your confidence in, in God, your confidence in your prayer life and your confidence in the ability to honor God through your prayers is going gonna, is gonna to give you more boldness and courage. Well, maybe you're preparing for a test or a resume or a job interview or um, looking to, to check out a new house or whatever it is. Stop right then and say, God, you know, I've studied for this test or I've, I've worked my way in this job. Help me to interview well. I've looked at numbers of houses. God, help me to, to make a wise decision. At that moment, just whenever it comes to your mind. And, and the fourth thing is, in the middle of the night, if you are woken up in the middle of the night and, and someone comes to your mind or you're having trouble sleeping, ask God, who is it you want me to pray for? We're going to talk about this in a, a little bit more, but... At that moment, take some time to pray for that person that comes to your mind. Well, Paul, the second part, Paul says to be watchful in prayer. This, this literally means to stay awake. It means, that's what that word watchful means, is to stay awake. You're on guard. It refers to an attitude of, of being spiritually alert. This is the same word that Peter used in 1 Peter 5, 8, where he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's that same, be watchful. Not only is, is Satan out there lying to us and trying to destroy us, 
But there are also many other false teachers and temptations that confront us moment by moment on a daily basis. C.S. Lewis wrote this in one of his, his books I thought was very profound. And, it, and I just want you to consider this for a moment. He wrote, No one in his senses, in other words, no one in his right mind, if he has any power of ordering his own day, would reserve his chief prayers for bedtime. Obviously, the worst possible hour for any action which needs concentration. So in other words, he said, why relegate prayer to this time just before you go into bed when you've had a whole day of decisions that you've had to make? You have a whole day of, of situations that you could have been in prayer in. Don't save it for the end of the day. Well, we learned earlier in our study that Gnostics were trying to infiltrate the church, and Paul was teaching the people to be aware of what's going on around them, to be alert. So finally, number three, part C here, he says to pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. And when we pray with grateful hearts in every situation that comes our way, what happens? we begin to develop an attitude of gratitude that is, that is to protect us from the attacks of the evil one who wants to discourage us and tempt us and get us to question God and his sovereignty. So we need to be thankful. It says in Philippians 4, let me read this here, and it says, do not be anxious about everything, anything, sorry, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, see, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then in Ephesians, Paul writes, he says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see this throughout the Bible, again, to be thankful in everything. So what would happen if you took a minute now and thank God for every situation in your life that you're experiencing right now, that illness that you're going through, that bank account, be it great or small, the family that you've been given, your kids, that mother-in-law that you married into, whatever it is that you're struggling to be thankful for, he says to be praying for them. Be diligent in praying and watchful, but being thankful for everything that comes into our life. Now, that does not mean that we're joyful when we're sick, <clears throat> but we are thankful for what he can do through that time. So, whatever, as we develop this attitude of gratitude, whatever our so-called problem is, is going to diminish as we learn to love God and love others. Well, no, point number two is, the first point was we're praying. He challenges us to pray. But in, in point number two, he says to be praying for who? So believers are to pray from their heart diligently, 
with watchfulness and gratitude, but it doesn't stop there. Paul goes on and asks them, pray also for us. Pray for us, he's saying. So as we pray for those in leadership, our elders, our pastors, our deacons, our, our teachers that are leading our life groups, as we pray for them, what's happening? As we pray for them, they are growing in their faith, that we are, we are having input, we're praying for them, that they can in turn put into other people and grow up the next generation of believers. How's that possible? Well, as these men and women who are, that we're praying for are teaching, and they're, they're teaching less mature people, these people begin to grow and then begin taking on leadership roles and things. That's, that's important. Our biggest, our biggest example of that was Jesus himself. If you look in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, he says, he's praying in the garden, and he says, I, don't, I do not ask for these alone only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Did you hear what he said? He says, I'm not asking just for these disciples, God, Father. I'm praying for those who will be affected, who will believe in their word that they're teaching. That's, that's where it goes. That they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So we're praying for the future. And when, when, that's the comforting thing because when Jesus was praying for the disciples to teach, he was praying for you and me. That's so, that's amazing. As Helen and I prepared to move back to Thailand to begin work again out there, we are asking you as a church to pray for us, to pray for us that, that God would use us in a way. Now, if you wake up in the middle of the night and, and you're, you think of us, the middle of the night, you know what that time that is in Thailand? It's the middle of the day. So if, we, if you wake up in the middle of the night with, with Tim and Helen on your mind, pray for us because a lot of times we'll be in a situation where we'll be teaching a, a couple that might be in trouble, or we might be evangelizing one of the Thai people, or we, we could be in a situation where we need God's grace immediately. Now, that's not true with just Helen and I. That's true with all, anybody. When you wake up, you pray for Joel Wilderson. You pray for the um, McLaughlins. You pray for bright hope that they might be having a crisis going on at that moment. So pray. He says, when you pray for us, when you pray for the other missionaries, when you pray for your pastors, your leaders, your teachers, you're praying for the next generation also. And that is so important. Well, don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss these thoughts that come into your mind because God puts them there for a reason. It's times like these that, that we need your prayers that others need your prayers is when God brings them to your mind. Why? Well, that brings us to the next, next point. Point number three is praying for what? Paul goes on to say, he says, we're praying that God may open us to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. 
that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, this is important. Did you notice what Paul did not pray for? Did you notice that? He didn't pray that he would be released from prison. He didn't pray that his troubles would go away. He didn't pray that people would send him money or anything like that. He prayed specifically that he was concerned. He prayed, he wants us to pray specifically that the word of God is, is put out there and that he's making Christ known. He begs them to pray for these three things. That God would open up a door for us to share the gospel, to share the word, to articulate the message of God, of Christ, to the lost, blind, and dying world. And number three, that, that it will be clear to the hearer of what they're trying to say, what they're trying to speak, that they would speak as they should. Now, as we pray for those in leadership, that they will have eyes to see, feet to obey, to step through the door that God, the opportunity that God lays before them, that they will be able to declare or to make clear and plain the gospel of Christ to others, remembering all along that as they teach and share, they're actually preparing the next generation to understand the mysteries of Christ. And that is, is that Christ dwells in us and we in him. After all, isn't that why Paul was in prison? For sharing the gospel and being bold about it? I want to I ask you a question. The job that you're in right now, you know, where does God have you? Where does God have you? As a teacher, as a policeman, as an architect, a plumber, or whatever your occupation is, or whatever your status is, as a student, as a homemaker, or whatever it is, <clears throat> God has you there for a purpose. He prepared you ahead of time. He's given you gifts and abilities for those jobs. It's not, your, your paycheck is not just a way to keep ahead of the creditors. It's a way that we, God has prepared you and placed you where you are for the possibility of sharing the gospel with someone else. This is your mission field. I was listening to Ravi Zacharias uh, yesterday in an older message from him, and he said, you know what? Every person is a missionary. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You're either a missionary or you're a mission field. <laughs> That's only two classes of people, those that need Christ and those that have Christ. And so as God has placed you in your job, we need to look at your, quote, job as your mission field and that you are there to serve him. He gave you the abilities to do what you do. If you're a salesman, you can close the deal. God gave you that ability to do that. That's, that's the amazing thing. So your goal in life as a Christ follower ought to be this, that you're only going to do what Christ wants you to do. You're going to only go where Christ wants you to go. 
You're only going to say what Christ wants you to say because he's going to give you opportunity. He's going to allow the, his word to go forth. And that's, that's the cool thing. And that's what Paul is asking for is that they may open this door of opportunity and he'll walk through it and he'll articulate the message of Christ clearly and that the hearers will understand it as he's saying this. Well, what does it say in, in Matthew 6, 33 and 34? It says, but seek first, because a lot of times we seek, we seek money first. But he's saying, seek my kingdom first and his righteousness, and all these things are going to be added unto you. Housing, clothing, food, all that stuff's going to be added unto you as you're walking and honoring God with your life. Test me. Prove me wrong that if you walk humbly before the Lord, watch what he does. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. We, we got enough to worry about today. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Stop worrying about what's going to happen next week. Focus on what God has for you today. That's the important thing. Now, if you've learned nothing else from this series, the fact that we are in Christ and with Christ, it ought to encourage us and to spur us on to a, a life that is lived only for Him, for His glory, because He's done so much for us. So Paul, that is what Paul is asking the church to pray for. Well, he's not done yet. He's got a little bit more. There's three things that Paul is asking the Colossians, uh, the Colossian Christians to apply to their life. That brings us to point number four, is to pray for ourselves. Pray for ourselves. Paul finishes up this challenge by asking us for something. Verses five and six. It says, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul shifts from himself, challenging the church to pray for those in leadership and for him, and now says, okay, I have three things for you now. He says these, these things that, that we must walk in wisdom toward outsiders, that we need to make the best use of our time. And number three is to let our speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. So why is that important? Well, he answers it in that next phrase, so that you will know how to answer each person. Well, as we move on here, there's, there's last week we lost one of our, one of our, the greatest apologists of modern times, when Ravi Zacharias died of cancer. Listening to him, listening to him, it's like smart made easy. I mean, the way that he talks, it makes it sound like, wow, I should know that stuff. But he knows how to take the word of God and just make it simply applied to our lives. He could take the complicated doctrines of the Bible and make sense of them. And he was often invited to secular universities where he was subjected to questions 
from people in the audience who wanted nothing more than to trip him up. But the thing that impressed me most about him is if you watch these, these question and answer times with these college students, he never tries to prove facts and, and information. He first, he focuses on the questioner and says, why is this person asking this question? Whether it be about abortion, whether it be about God being a just God and all the suffering that's going on in the world, he focuses and he'll ask questions to try and draw out that person, you know, what was going on in his life that they, or her life that they would ask those questions. He wanted to understand where they were coming from that made them want to ask that question. He always taught, he always taught his, when he was teaching, he always said, respond to the questioner, not to the question. That's what a good apologist does. So the way that he would talk to students would make Christ and Christianity more attractive instead of beating them over the head with facts and figures trying to prove his point. We, too, are to walk before people in the world with wisdom, to know our audience. When Helen and I worked in the Red Karin tribal group with the, with the tribal group, the Red Karin, we studied their language for four years before we could begin to teach them the Word of God. But as we were learning their language, we did not just learn their language. We learned what made them tick. Why do they build their houses? Every house faced the same direction. Why do they pick up grass off the ground if their child gets startled and, and put it on their head? Or why do they chew garlic before they're leaving them with the grandparents, chew garlic and put it on the baby's head? Or why, why do they blow on injuries? So we were asking these questions. We wanted to know who they were, what made them tick, and what, made, what their cultural understanding was. Because if we tried to teach them words like righteousness and, and forgiveness and the love of God and, and substitutionary death, without understanding how they were going to respond to that, we were spinning our wheels. It wouldn't accomplish anything. So we, in our Christian little bubble, we tend to, to know all the Christian lingo and expect the world to understand what we're saying. They don't. Someone did a survey one time, and they asked, they went into an elementary school, and they said, what is Easter? What does that mean to you? I don't know if any of the kids, I didn't read the whole article, but most of them said, well, it's a holiday, we go to family, it's an Easter bunny, we get candy, we get treats, we get all these things. Nothing about Jesus Christ in there. That's scary that our culture, our kids are growing up in an environment where they do not know the story of Easter and the significance of it. We need to know that. So that when we go and talk to people, we're going to understand where they're coming from when they ask us questions. It's important to know. It's very important to know your audience and the way the world thinks and, and how we can be salt and light in that situation. But he left one point out. I left one point out. And that was point number two, is that, that he asked them to redeem 
the time. There's a lot of things that we do that are a waste of time. He says to redeem the time. So when, when you're walking, listen to a message, listen to gospel music, listen, you know, call somebody on the phone and, and, and pray with them. When you're in the car, don't just mindlessly drive. Use that time wisely. Be praying for others. That's what, he's, that's what he's trying to get across is pray. Pray and pray. Pray more regularly with those around us, those that live near us, those that live with us. Are you having input into their lives and teaching them? Spending t daily time in the Word. C.T. Studd wrote, uh, this was, it was turned into a song, it says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We can build a big empire here. We can make a name for ourselves. But if it's not done for the glory of Christ, for the glory of God, it's going to amount to nothing. We have been on a journey through the book of Colossians, and we've been challenged to live our life as we are in Christ. We are in Christ. He is in us. We are with Christ. And we have everything we need for life and godliness. We are a part of the work that he is doing in building the church and the future of our world. He can accomplish this mightily through prayer. But today there might be someone that's, that's watching at home or wherever you're at, and you don't know the Lord Jesus yet as your Savior. I want to just take a, a minute to invite you to understand the gospel message that Christ loved us before the foundation of the world, and he is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And he says in, in Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, he says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For, for it is with the heart that, that you believe and are justified, and with the mouth you profess faith and are saved. Well, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it, it says that salvation is found in no other. There's no one else that can save us from our sins. For there is no other name under heaven given by mankind by which we must be saved. In other words, we try to be religious people, but if you look at the name of Jesus, he is the only one who died and rose again to redeem us. He was that acceptable sacrifice that God gave us. He was the one who will, will take our sins, the, the, the punishment of our sins, the, the fear that we experience, the, the frustration, the, the lack of motivation to even exist on this earth. He's, he's able to take those away and give you purpose in life, give you a hope and a future, and that, that he's willing that, that he can take you from the pits of despair into his glorious life. It's not my glorious life. I don't have any part of it. It's him living his life in and through me. 
Well, if you're in that position today that you have not yet received Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, I want you to just take a moment and pray with me as we close the service and go into another song of worship. And so bow your head with me, if you would, and, and pray something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I have fallen short of your glory. There's things that I've done that I am ashamed of. There's things that I've done that I regret. But Lord, you said that because you love me, that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins, that you would take my sins from me and remove them from me as far as the east is from the west, that you will remember them no more. And you also promised to give me a guaranteed Holy Spirit that is our seal until the day of redemption. God, you are a faithful God and you do not neglect your word. Your word is true and it's powerful and is our hope and our salvation. So God, we are asking you to save us today. Maybe there's someone watching today that, that is a believer. They have at one time put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but they have walked away. They've walked away from the hope that is in Christ. So God, I pray you'll bring conviction in their life and help them, God, to stand firm on the word of God and to reject the things of the world that are tempting them and to turn their away from these worthless idols of self, of money, of, of worshiping fame and fortune and worship the one true God and be able to experience the joy of knowing Jesus. And God, I thank you for those who are walking in fellowship with you today and enjoying the grace of God in their lives on a daily basis. So Lord, we thank you for this series that we've uh, just completed. And as we move into a new series in two weeks, that I'm looking forward to just getting to know God, his name and who he is more intimately, that it will drive us to our knees. It'll drive us to dive into your word and, and, and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Because apart from God, apart from you, Jesus living in our lives, we can't accomplish anything worthy of salvation. We can never do that. It's only what you've done for us. And we thank you for that. We worship you. And God, take these last remaining few minutes of, of, of song and prayer together to bring glory and honor to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.